0: Part 2. Chapters 9 and 10 of Democracy in America, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by hearhis.com. Democracy in America, Volume 2, by Alexis de Tocqueville. Translated by Henry Reeve. Part 2. Chapter 9. THAT THE AMERICANS APPLY THE PRINCIPLE OF INTEREST RIGHTLY UNDERSTOOD TO RELIGIOUS MATTERS. IF THE PRINCIPLE OF INTEREST RIGHTLY UNDERSTOOD HAD NOTHING BUT THE PRESENT WORLD IN VIEW, IT WOULD BE VERY INSUFFICIENT, FOR THERE ARE MANY SACRIFICES WHICH CAN ONLY FIND THEIR recompense IN ANOTHER, AND WHATEVER INGENUITY MAY BE PUT FORTH TO DEMONSTRATE THE UTILITY OF VIRTUE It will never be an easy task to make that man live aright who has no thoughts of dying. It is therefore necessary to ascertain whether the principle of interest rightly understood is easily compatible with religious belief. The philosophers who inculcate this system of morals tell men that to be happy in this life they must watch their own passions and steadily control their excess that lasting happiness can only be secured by renouncing a thousand transient gratifications, and that a man must perpetually triumph over himself in order to secure his own advantage. The founders of almost all religions have held the same language. The track they point out to man is the same, only that the goal is more remote. Instead of placing in this world the reward of the sacrifices they impose, they transport it to another. Nevertheless, I cannot believe that all those who practice virtue from religious motives are only actuated by the hope of recompense. I have known zealous Christians who constantly forgot themselves to work with greater adore for the happiness of their fellow men. AND I HAVE HEARD THEM DECLARE THAT ALL THEY DID WAS ONLY TO EARN THE BLESSINGS OF A FUTURE STATE. I CANNOT BUT THINK THAT THEY DECEIVE THEMSELVES. I RESPECT THEM TOO MUCH TO BELIEVE THEM. CHRISTIANITY, INDEED, TEACHES THAT A MAN MUST PREFER HIS NEIGHBOR TO HIMSELF IN ORDER TO GAIN ETERNAL LIFE. BUT CHRISTIANITY ALSO TEACHES THAT MEN OUGHT TO BENEFIT THEIR FELLOW CREATURES FOR THE LOVE OF GOD a sublime expression. Man, searching by his intellect into the divine conception, and seeing that order is the purpose of God, freely combines to prosecute the great design, and whilst he sacrifices his personal interests to this consummate order of all created things, expects no other recompense than the pleasure of contemplating it. I do not believe that interest is the sole motive of religious men, but I believe that interest is the principal means which religions themselves employ to govern men, and I do not question that this way they strike into the multitude and become popular. It is not easy, clearly, to perceive why the principle of interest rightly understood should keep aloof from religious opinions, and it seems to me more easy to show why it should draw men to them. Let it be supposed that, in order to obtain happiness in this world, a man combats his instinct on all occasions, and deliberately calculates every action of his life, that instead of yielding blindly to the impetuosity of first desires, he has learned the art of resisting them, and that, He has accustomed himself to sacrifice without an effort the pleasure of a moment to the lasting interest of his whole life. If such a man believes in the religion which he professes, it will cost him but little to submit to the restrictions it may impose. Reason herself counsels him to obey, and habit has prepared him to endure them. If he should have conceived any doubts as to the object of his hopes, still he will not easily allow himself to be stopped by them, and he will decide that it is wise to risk some of the advantages of this world in order to preserve his rights to the great inheritance promised him in another. To be mistaken in believing that the Christian religion is true, says Pascal, is no great loss to any one but how dreadful to be mistaken in believing it to be false. The Americans do not affect a brutal indifference to a future state. They affect no prurale pride in despising perils which they hope to escape from. They, therefore, profess their religion without shame and without weakness. But there generally is, even in their zeal, something so indescribably tranquil, methodical, and deliberate, that it would seem as if the head, far more than the heart, brought them to the foot of the altar. The Americans not only follow their religion from interest, but they often place in this world the interest which makes them follow it. In the Middle Ages the clergy spoke of nothing but a future state, They hardly cared to prove that a sincere Christian may be a happy man here below. But the American preachers are constantly referring to the earth, and it is only with great difficulty that they can divert their attention from it. To touch their congregations, they always show them how favorable religious opinions are to freedom and public tranquillity and it is often difficult to ascertain from their discourses whether the principal object of religion is to procure eternal felicity in the other world or prosperity in this. End of Part 2 Chapter 9 Democracy in America, Volume 2 by Alex de Tocqueville, translated by Henry Reeve, Part 2, Chapter 10, of the Taste for Physical Well-Being in America. In America, the passion for physical well-being is not always exclusive, but it is general, and if all do not feel it in the same manner, yet it is felt by all, carefully to satisfy all, even the least wants of the body and to provide the little conveniences of life, is uppermost in every mind. Something of an analogous character is more and more apparent in Europe. Amongst the causes which produce these similar consequences in both hemispheres, several are so connected with my subject as to deserve notice. When riches are hereditarily fixed in families, There are a great number of men who enjoy the comforts of life without feeling an exclusive taste for those comforts. The heart of man is not so much caught by the undisturbed possession of anything valuable as by the desire, as yet imperfectly satisfied, of possessing it, and by the incessant dread of losing it. In aristocratic communities, the wealthy, never having experienced a condition different from their own, entertain no fear of changing it. The existence of such conditions hardly occurs to them. The comforts of life are not to them the end of life, but simply a way of living. They regard them as existence itself, enjoyed, but scarcely thought of as the natural and instinctive taste which all men feel for being well off is thus satisfied without trouble and without apprehension their faculties are turned elsewhere and cling to more arduous and more lofty undertakings which excite and engross their minds hence it is that in the midst of physical gratifications the members of an aristocracy often display a haughty contempt of these very enjoyments, and exhibit singular powers of endurance under the privation of them. All the revolutions which have ever shaken or destroyed aristocracies have shown how easily men accustomed to superfluous luxuries can do without the necessities of life, whereas men who have toiled to acquire a competency can hardly live after they have lost it if i turn my observation from the upper to the lower classes i find analogous effects produced by opposite causes amongst a nation where aristocracy predominates in society and keeps it stationary the people in the end get as much accustomed to poverty as the rich to their opulence The latter bestow no anxiety on their physical comforts because they enjoy them without an effort. The former do not think of things which they despair of obtaining, and which they hardly know enough to desire them. In communities of this kind the imagination of the poor is driven to seek another world. The miseries of real life enclose it around but it escapes from their control and flies to seek its pleasures far beyond. When, on the contrary, the distinctions of ranks are confounded together and privileges are destroyed, when hereditary property is subdivided and education and freedom widely diffused, the desire of acquiring the comforts of the world haunts the imagination of the poor, and the dread of losing them that of the rich many scanty fortunes spring up those who possess them have a sufficient share of physical gratifications to conceive a taste for these pleasures not enough to satisfy it they never procure them without exertion and they never indulge in them without apprehension they are therefore always straining to pursue or to retain gratification so delightful, so imperfect, so fugitive? If I were to inquire what passion is most natural to men who are stimulated and circumscribed by the obscurity of their birth to the mediocrity of their fortune, I could discover none more peculiarly appropriate to their condition than this love of physical prosperity. The passion for physical comforts is essentially a passion of the middle classes. With those classes it grows and spreads. With them it preponderates. From them it mounts into the higher orders of society and descends into the mass of the people. I never met in America with any citizen so poor as not to cast a glance of hope and envy on the enjoyments of the rich or whose imagination did not possess itself by anticipation of those good things which fate still obstinately withheld from him. On the other hand, I never perceived amongst the wealthier inhabitants of the United States that proud contempt of physical gratifications, which is sometimes to be met with even in the most opulent and desolate aristocracies. Most of these wealthy persons were once poor. They have felt the sting of want. They were long a prey to adverse fortunes. And now that the victory is won, the passions which accompanied the contest have survived it. Their minds are, as it were, intoxicated by the small enjoyments which they have pursued for forty years. Not but that in the United States, as elsewhere, there are a certain number of wealthy persons who, having come into their property by inheritance, possess without exertion an opulence they have not earned. But even these men are not less devotedly attached to the pleasures of material life. The love of well-being has now become the predominant taste of the nation. The great current of man's passions runs in that channel and sweeps everything along in its course. End of Part 2, Chapter 10, recording by hearhis.com.